0: We're specifically going to begin in Matthew chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, your digital device, go and open up to Matthew chapter 17. We'll get there in here in just a moment. But let me just begin. I'm going to just pray as we get to start this morning. Lord, we love you and we need you. And as we open up your word, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us. Encourage us, challenge us to become the people, the men, the women that you would have us to be. I ask in your name, amen. Have you ever had those moments in life where it's like your breath is just taken away, either by something silly, something fun, something beautiful. Um, I began ministry uh, about 24, 25 years ago doing youth ministry. Uh, Did youth ministry in Northern Indiana for about six years. And then my wife and I, we ended up moving to Arizona where we did ministry for about 11 years. And then God brought us on a journey here to, to Central Florida while i was in arizona i began as a college young adults pastor eventually started a church there as as well but one of the things i really was looking forward to is we took our college students all the way kind of to rural indiana where there was a camp there called camp Raybird. The camp still exists today and their specialty was doing ministry giving camp experiences to inner city children And most of these interceded children were from Chicagoland, they were from Gary, Indiana, some from South Bend, Indiana. These kids had never been out in the country before. And I thought this will be a great experience for our, our college students to go and just kind of minister to them. At the same time, it'll be culture shock for them because they're used to kind of metropolitan Phoenix desert now they're going to the Midwest, dealing with inner city kids. I just thought this would be a perfect thing. There are certain things that I underestimated in that process. We pull into the camp. It's a Saturday evening. The sun is just going down. And all of a sudden when the students, you could just tell like they were in awe. They were all just looking out the window. I'm just trying to figure out what in the world are they looking at? And then all of a sudden one of them was brave enough to speak up and says, Lee, what, what are those glowing things out there? And I'm like, Oh, those are called fireflies. You know, they're, they're lightning bugs and none of them had ever seen these ever in their entire life, which made sense. Like they're, they're from the desert. And so the next thing I know is I, I pull in, I park and I've got like 15 college students running around in the field trying to grab these fireflies. And, and they're just like out of their minds. And all of a sudden the camp staff come out to greet us. They know we're there and they're looking at and they're like, what is wrong with your team? Um, And I'm trying to explain, like, guys, you need to understand, like, they're in awe. Like, they've never seen these before, ever in their life. And, you know, and that blew them away, blew away. But I was reminded of that this week. I'm sitting in my backyard. I'm looking up at the stars and just amazed at the beauty of how God created the world in which we call home. And and there's these moments. If you began to reflect, you begin to remember. I'm sure each and every one of us in the room can think of these certain moments where either the beauty of God or the beauty of his creation just makes us stop and stand still and just sit in awe of all that we see and all that God has created. I think of some of the most beautiful places I've ever been on the earth. One of those was my wife and I, we had the opportunity to go do some missions work in Uganda. And uh, in that journey, it took us to the Rift Valley. And we're sitting there in the rift valley kind of where the nile cuts through the mountains and i just remember my breath just being taken away it was one of the most beautiful places i had ever been i just wish we could have gotten outside the van we couldn't get outside the van because the white flies were so bad that they would eat me alive but i remember i'm sitting in the van still looking out that window just going this is incredible I can think about moments where I've hiked up to the top of a 14er in Colorado. I've had the opportunity to stand on the top of some of the highest mountains in Yosemite National Park and just stand out and look and gaze at all of this and just think, God created this. I mean, it speaks to exactly what Paul captures in the book of Romans when he talks about that God has revealed his glory to us even through his creation. I don't want us to to miss that. Sometimes we can get so busy, we can get so moving so quickly through life that we just we don't pause enough to reflect upon the beauty and the glory of who God is and how He has made the earth. And yes, it's tainted. Our sin has tainted it. It's not the picture that he originally created, but even that, when you think about that creation itself, even how it's been tainted, how it's been polluted by sin, to use that kind of terms, it still is awesome. What is it going to be like when we're actually in his presence for the first time? I don't know if there's words that can describe the beauty and the glory that we're going to experience. And we're going to see that come true in this passage that we're going to take a look at today in Matthew chapter 17 to kind of give you a picture of kind of where we're going and and kind of what the context of this moment. Jesus is now, he's moved from boyhood to manhood. He's now in his thirties. He's doing ministry. He's healing people. He's teaching. Demons are being driven out. Like ministry is cranking for Jesus. And Jesus had these moments where he would regularly kind of get away, He'd move away from the crowd. He'd want to spend some time in prayer. He would refuel himself for that next season, that next moment, whatever was in the plans to do. And in, in Matthew chapter 17, we get to one of those moments. Jesus is retreating. He's wanting to just spend some, some extra time in prayer. He brings along with him his 12 kind of key disciples. And specifically, there's three, what I would call senior leaders of that group of friends that he specifically says, hey, I want you three to come with me and you're gonna see something special. See, what we're going to see, if I, if I were to, to sum it up, would be these three things. We're going to see Jesus is transfigured, Jesus talks with Moses and Elijah, and Jesus is distinguished. In other words, the, the big idea that we're going to take a look at today, and it may be seem simple, but the reality is very, very profound, is simply this big idea. Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. Don't, don't miss this in the passage, how it is recorded in, in the book of Matthew. So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Let me, let me pause there for a moment. The, the description that Matthew captures here is also recorded in the Gospels of Luke and the Gospels of Mark. And you can almost, as you read through those three moments that are captured in those three Gospels, you can almost feel a, a, a level of, uh, I, w- I would say, you would, frustration, By the authors, because they're they're trying to comprehend what they're seeing, they're trying to put language to what they just experienced, and the reality is human language can't really capture this moment. How how do you describe to somebody the beauty that you experience on the top of a mountaintop? It, there's there's things that you just capture, but it's hard to explain. It's hard to put it into words so somebody else can experience the same thing. That's exactly the frustration that you see taking place in the authors in, in this moment. But to help us understand this, the, the word that we translate in the English language as transfigured is also the Greek word that we get the English word metamorphosis from. It, the whole picture that we're seeing take place here is the, the recorders of the gospels are wanting us to understand is that in this moment, the shell that Jesus has in his humanity breaks free just as a caterpillar builds a cap- cocoon and all of a sudden, days later, it blossoms out as this butterfly, like a totally different creature. That's kind of the moment that you're seeing take place on the mountaintop. Jesus in the shell is pulled back and all of a sudden, those three disciples, they see Jesus for who he really is in all of his glory. It's like, I've never seen this. It's like a different creature before them. Now they're beginning to understand Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is different than anybody else I've ever come to know, been taught about, or sat and had dinner with. Now the glory of God really is one of the mega themes that you see in the Bible. Depending upon how you count it, the glory of God is referenced actually over 300 times in in Scripture in different various ways. And when you're speaking of the glory of God, we're, we're speaking really of what we would call an attribute of, of God. It's an aspect of who God really is. And again, to, to be honest with you, to, to, to explain the glory of God we're always gonna fall short. And part of that is our minds, our three pound brains, just cannot fully capture the glory of who God is. It's hard for us to wrap our arms around how big and how mighty. Nonetheless, when we talk about this attribute, when we talk about the glory of God, it's helpful to understand the glory of God speaks about the splendor of God. It speaks about the beauty of God, his magnificence, his radiance, the heaviness, the weightiness of his holiness. The fact that he's prominent, he is preeminent. There's this luminescence, there's a splendor, there's a majesty, there's a purity, there's a worthiness, there's a superiority of the God of the Bible. Like this is just trying to just put a little bit of language to understanding who the glory of God is. And the reality is nothing compares to him. Nothing. There's no nothing that has been created or ever will be that even comes close to comparing to the glory of God. And there's moments that we see in scripture again where language is used to give us a little bit of glimpse or God purposely does something to kind of begin to reveal how big and how mighty how glorious he really is you go to the book of exodus you have this moment where moses has now been commissioned to lead his people who have been enslaved in egypt for 400 years to lead them into the promised land a place where they can become the people that god actually wants them to be they're walking through the wilderness. They're walking through the desert. And God chooses in that moment to lead them through the desert into something new. So they can be the people that God wants them. And the way that he does so is through a cloud of fire, leading them through the desert. A, a glorious thing. I can't only imagine what that must have been like at nighttime to see this leading and, and leading the charge of where they were to go. You open the book of Isaiah, you have this moment where Isaiah gets a moment to kind of peek into the heavenlies. In Isaiah 6, he gives us this picture of angels circling the throne of God, and they just, in constant worship, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're just praising, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over. And and Isaiah's reaction is simply, woe to me. Like I don't deserve to be here in this moment. Like this is beyond me, and I don't know what to say. I, I'm unclean, and it's like he just falls apart before God. Because the glory of God is that weighty. It's that big of a deal. You have Daniel describes the second coming of Jesus, that he will arrive on clouds of glory to establish here on earth his kingdom. I mean, these are just small glimpses that we find throughout Scripture referencing the glory of God. Then you get to the book of Ezekiel, and and even recorded in 1 Samuel, this moment where God's people choose not to worship God in his glory, but they choose to worship those things which are created. They give themselves to idols and idolatry and wanting to define what things are worthy of being worshiped and they move away from god and they as a result they move away from god's best for their lives and decide i want to do this and i want to do that and it's like there's this moment and we all need to understand this even when it comes to how we interact like god is loving god is incredibly patient He is incredibly gracious and i am so thankful for it But there comes a moment where God goes, enough is enough. And that's exactly what we see revealed and talked about in Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. They started worshiping these created things. And what we see is God removes himself from the presence of his people. Meaning that his favor, his blessing among his people is kind of put on pause. And he refers to the fact that now now the glory my glory isn't going to be present in the temple and as a result the temple becomes defaced it becomes defiled and we enter into this moment of theologians refer to it as a moment of silence it's kind of the intertestamental years from the last book you see in the old testament to the beginning of the new testament you have this period of about 400 years where it's like God is quiet. God's been using prophets. He's been bringing up people. He's been writing scripture. He's been, he's been actively involved, sharing and using people to kind of speak truth to them. And all of a sudden, you have this moment of silence. People are still waiting for God's presence. They're still waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, to show up in the scene. But God has just been quiet 400 years. God, where are you? Have you had moments in your life where you just sit there and go, God, where are you? I know I have. I've had some even recently. And our circumstances can oftentimes lead us to those moments of loneliness and quiet and just kind of going, God, do you hear me? Are you there? I I need you. I just want you to know God has never actually left. God is still there. God is still aware. And I think there's moments in life that God kind of pulls back because it forces us to lean in. It forces us to go, God, I, I, I need you. And it, it forces us to realize, you know what? I need you more than I even knew. And then we get this as interesting moment. God's been quiet. It's like the glory of God has been put on pause. It's, it's not among his people. The favor and the blessing that they were used to wasn't there. And then about 400 years later, you get this description in Luke 2. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, talking about the shepherds, and the glory—there it is—and the glory is felt like forever. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is a big deal. You, you have this moment where it's like God is missing. Where is he? People are longing for the glory of God. They're longing for his blessing. They're longing for his presence. He's been gone and all of a sudden, boom, Luke chapter 2, what we celebrate Christmas. God is here. God is on the scene and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You can only imagine as Jews, as God's chosen people in this moment, this is awe-inspiring this is a moment that they just want to bottle up they don't want to lose this moments and so when we get to this passage in matthew it's another reminder you know what god's still here god hasn't left us god hasn't forgotten us the glory of god isn't something that was reflected in jesus it is actually found in jesus jesus is god he's referred to and we talk about it we sing about it at christmas time he's emmanuel god with us right and here those disciples they actually witnessed it peter actually records it in one of his letters i was there i was an eyewitness i saw all this play out emmanuel this is true the messiah god himself is here in our presence he hasn't forgotten us. He's here. And it is this moment, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Metamorphosis, to kind of use that term, the glory of Jesus is made visible. The glory that is present in Jesus, the God-man, it, it is seen, it, it breaks out. At the same time, this moment in history is also a moment of foreshadowing what is to come. It's a foreshadowing of the ultimate return of glory, that after his humility, after Jesus' suffering, after this moment of abandonment, after his betrayal, after the crucifixion takes place, where our sins are dealt with, where he is the substitute savior for us, after his burial, after what is going to take place in his resurrection, Jesus is ascended. Where is he ascended to? Back into glory. And today jesus rules and he reigns in glory surrounded by angels surrounded by fellow believers that have departed he is surrounded and worshiped and adored and enjoyed as god of glory so when you think of jesus realize that he existed in eternity past in glory that he exists in eternity, future in glory. And during his ministry here on earth, he chose to identify with you and me in the form of humanity. He humbled himself, as it's captured in Philippians chapter 2. And so, this moment, glory breaks forth. His glory is made known. And then, interesting, we see two characters show up. Let's take a look at verse 3. He says, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses and Elijah. How do we know it's Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe they're wearing name tags. Maybe they got t-shirts. We don't know. We don't know how in the world they knew that this was Moses and Elijah. It's not like they had photos that they could just pull out and go, oh yeah, that's Elijah. Like, we don't know. But, for some reason, Moses and Elijah here are on the scene. And the interesting thing was when you read the same description in Luke's gospel, it tells us that the three of them are talking and they're specifically talking about Jesus' upcoming path to the cross. And, and it's referred to as his departure that is actually coming. Interesting. Let me ask you this question, and I think this is an important thing. Why Elijah and why Moses? Why them? When you think of two historical figures that are prominent in the Christian faith, why them? Well, here's what I think. You can call this a Leism. The first is Moses. Moses is the person that shows up on the scene that God uses to deliver the law. The kind of, the Ten Commandments. Hey, this is what you're to do. This is what you're not to do. He's the person that brings freedom And we know that even as it's described in the New Testament is by truth that we are set free. And so he brings the law to help be a reflection to us to remind you and I, all of humanity, we need Savior. We need help. We're broken. We can't do this ourselves, no matter how much we like to. So Moses is that figure that represents the law. Elijah is kind of the prophet of the prophets. he he was the man that god used in incredible ways and he's one of those that actually didn't actually see death god came and brought him straight from earth in a fiery chariot and took him straight to heaven and so he's he's considered to be the the ultimate kind of the mouthpiece of god he is the prophet of prophets which this then begins to make different sense when you think about what Jesus actually said about himself as it's recorded in Matthew chapter five. So you go back a few chapters, Jesus says this, he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, rather I've come to fulfill them. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And so when we see the characters of Moses, when we see the characters of Elijah showing up on the scene, having the conversation There's a point in what God is helping us understand. First of all, Jesus is the fulfillment of what they came to do. The second thing we're going to see is this whole idea is Jesus is unlike anybody else. He's distinguished. There's nobody like him. He's not a reflection of God's glory. He is God's glory. Then we pick this up. So the story takes a unique turn in verse 4. It says, and Peter said to Jesus, there's good old Peter. He just typically has a way of sticking his foot in his mouth. He says, Lord, it is not good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It's kind of like in this moment, I, I love this. And, and I think we can all kind of, we, we understand Peter's heart. We've, we've been in these moments. And I think, honestly, what Peter is doing, he's going, this is amazing. Like I've dreamed of this and here it is. Like the the figures of the faith, we have Moses, we have Elijah, we have Jesus. Like this is that mountaintop experience. I don't want to lose this moment. It's kind of like that moment for those that are parents in the room, when your first child takes the first steps, you're like, yes, this is incredible. Like we can all point to these moments in our life where it's like, we want to bottle up. We don't want to ever lose it. This is that moment. Peter's sitting in there. Go, man! How cool would it be for us to just sit around the campfire every night and just talk about God, talk about theology? Moses, I want to hear what it was like to part when you parted the sea. I mean, I, I think we can all kind of agree. Like this would have been a very cool moment to have. Peter doesn't want to lose it, so Peter's just like, maybe if I build you a structure, we can all hang out for a little while. You know, he's just that's his natural reaction in this moment. I, I love this, and then we get to verse five says he was still speaking so peter still come up with ideas well what about this what about this you know peter's talking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell on their faces and they were terrified but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What a moment. That There's this moment Peter is talking. Who knows exactly what he's talking about in this moment. And I don't think Peter's wrong. We don't see Peter chastised we just see this moment God interrupts that moment he interrupts Peter's line of thinking and I think part of the reason he does it is he wants to make something absolutely clear Moses yeah Moses is a big deal he indeed is, he's this old testament he is a heavyweight. he's the giver of the law yes Elijah Elijah is a big deal Again, he's an Old Testament heavyweight, the voice of the prophets. But what God is pointing out to us when it comes to Jesus, they don't compare. They don't compare. It's all about Jesus. And in this moment, God is making that point. He's helping us understand look at my son, look at the glory. God is with you. Don't lose this moment. And I think for some of us in the room today, that's exactly what we need to hear. we can get so focused on this, we can get so focused on that, and they can be great things. But they should never take precedent over Jesus. Jesus needs to remain number one in our life in every single way. And then this is what he says. We get to verse 9. It says, as they were coming down the mountain. So they have this incredible moment, this mountaintop experience. And they're coming down the mountain. Jesus commands them. He says, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come. And he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. A couple things here. Number one, Jesus in this moment, he's prophesying the fact of what is about to come. He's preparing them for what seems to be a loss, but is the greatest win of all human history. He's preparing them for the path that they themselves are going to walk. The second thing that we need to understand is it's interesting. Jesus and the disciples, they came down from the mountaintop. You, You see it? They didn't just hang out there. Mountaintop, Moments, mountaintop experiences, they're glorious. But let's be honest, they're far and few between. Most of life is lived in the valley. In our own lives, we might have moments. We might have these things where we see the glimpse of God. We may be been praying for something. We've been asking God, God, I need you to show up in this. I need your hand to be present in this. I'm asking for a miracle, God. And, And we may be praying. We may be praying. And then all of a sudden, God does something. He shows up. He brings healing. He answers your prayer. But in that, we see a glimpse of God's glory in the mountaintop. But the reality is we all need to remind ourselves God's work gets done where we live. It gets done in the valley. As they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructs them. He says, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody. Like, what you saw, this was special. I don't want you to tell anybody what you've seen until I'm resurrected. Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It's a great reminder to you and I that Jesus' work was done in the valley. Yes, his glory was revealed uniquely on the mountaintop, but his work was done in the valley. It's where our work is also done. And, And so when you're in the valley, when you're wrestling, when you're looking for light, when you're looking for a way out, remind yourself this is where jesus tends to meet me this is where he tends to meet all of us at the same time other people are walking through the valley other people are, are are being hamstrung other people are being challenged they're going through dark moments these are the moments in which god offers us the opportunity to come beside them and to minister to them as well see it's not just about us but it's experiencing the glory in his hand in our lives so that you and I can walk by other people and help them experience what we've experienced and the freedom and the salvation that comes from that. What a gift it is to be able to be partnered and experience God that way, but also to be used by God that way as well. This year at Harvest, we're hoping in our desires, we're gonna begin to do global missions work something we were looking forward to do actually even before this campus got started but we had something called covid that happened and it kind of shut down international travel and some of those type of opportunities we've been in contact we've got several partners that we're looking at wanting to partner and begin to take trips why there are people you know and we need to understand this there are people while we are waiting for the second coming of jesus there are people on this earth that have never heard about the first coming of jesus and so part of our privilege, part of our heart is, is that there are places where God has just put on our heart to say, it's time to go, be a part of that. In a couple weeks, I'll be back here and uh, we're gonna take some time just following in service. If you have some interest and know a little bit more about what we got going on globally, we're gonna just hang out for about 20 minutes or so. And I'm gonna share some of our partners and some of the opportunities that are gonna be coming up over the next year or so to be able to take trips and visit and do some unique things of what God is doing around the world. And one of the things I love about, I was 16 when I had the first time to travel out of the country, and I can remember in that moment, we went to a church service, and they're worshiping God in a different language. Now, I'm not the brightest guy in, in the world, and I remember just being blown away because I was like, wow, God understands this language too. You know. But the, the thing was that was fascinating to me is God is so much bigger than my little world. He's doing stuff all over the world, all over his creation. And the reality is that's an experience we all need to share and we all need to experience because it will blow your mind of how big God really is. And when we know and recognize that there are places in this world where God has never actually been heard, the name of Jesus has never been heard, we need to go. We need to be a part of that. And so I invite you to be back in a couple weeks when we have that conversation. Let me pray for us. And we're going to stand, we're going to continue to worship this morning. Lord, we love you. And we are in incredible need of you. God, I thank you for the way you revealed yourself on the Mount of Transfiguration. How you showed your glory. And God, I, I just pray that as we walk around in your beauty, as we have conversations with those around us, We wouldn't lose sight of that. Lord, that we just, we put the pause button on and we just worship you. Whether or not it's in our backyard looking at the stars, whether it's not out in the woods, whether or not it's on the lake while we fish, whether or not it's why we sit in line in the middle of traffic in central Florida. Lord, I just pray that we just sit and we be in awe of who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do. May we not lose sight of that. But, Lord, we can't just sit on the mountaintop experiences. Lord, I pray that after we have that experience, Lord, that we would have the courage to go into the valley and we'd minister just as you've ministered to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.